Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. say. Hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think my record speaks for itself. It's a really good question. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Merzenbaum, a reporter for St. Louis Public Radio in St. Louis. Joining me in Jefferson City is... Joe Manis. And our very special guest, one of our very special guests today... Senate Minority Leader Joe Kevney. We're doing something a little bit different here on the show. We're going to be interviewing the two Democratic leaders of the Missouri General Assembly separately. We're going to start off with uh, Senator Kevney, who's from St. Louis, and... The issue that we're going to talk about most is right to work. Joe, can you just explain what right to work is really quickly? What right to work would do would bar unions or employers from requiring all workers in a bargaining union to pay dues. Thank you. I'm always terrible at explaining it. So, Senator Kevney, it, it appears that today, Tuesday, is going to be the day that this is going to come before the Senate very, very succinctly and very plainly. What is the Senate Democratic mentality toward this issue? Well, very in 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 one word, we're opposed to it. Now, that being said, um, we are going to have a have a, a a very detailed discussion about this particular issue. Now, just so our listeners know, we've had several Republicans on talking about it, including House Speaker John Deal a couple months ago, and just a few days ago, we had State Senator Rob Schaff of St. Joe and his Chief of Staff Jim Lemke discuss this issue. So you're welcome to go to our website to listen to those shows as well. So we're expecting that the Democrats are going to engage in an all-out filibuster of this. The the big question is whether Republicans are going to use a procedural motion called the previous question to break it, which is rarely used. Senator, what have you kind of heard on that front? And what do you think would happen if the, the Republicans ended up successfully using the PQ to get this through the Senate? From everything that I understand, it's still unclear whether the, the Republican caucus has the required number of votes to pass uh, a motion for the previous question. If for some reason they do, and that does indeed happen, I think the rest of the session could be uh, extremely long and drawn out. Basically, what we have heard even from Senator Schaaf is if there's a successful PQ motion that your caucus will then pretty much slow everything to a halt. Is that a fair assumption to make? Well, whatever bill comes up, we're going to have a long and detailed conversation about it. You know, this is the time of session where a lot of bad things can happen because people try to move bills through very quickly and sometimes don't get a proper vetting. So we'll take a very long look at them. The House voted on this, passed it for the first time ever, a couple months ago in February. Why do you think it has taken so long to, for it to come up in the Senate? You know, the only answer that I would have for that is a strategic move by the majority floor leader um, to put pressure because of the other bills that are pending to try and get this through the Senate during the last week. Now, so our listeners know we're talking about Senator Ron Richard of Joplin. That's correct. My assumption is there's going to be a few Republicans that are going to vote against either a PQ or an overall vote on right to work. And I'm not sure that 23 votes are there to override a potential veto. Um, Have you gotten any sense from any individual Republican members whether they may join you in filibustering this or at least opposing this bill? Well, there's a 
you're, we're mixing up a couple of different issues here. Number one, there is the PQ vote, which not only – it's really not about the bill. It's about the way that the business in the Senate is conducted. And then on top of – after that would come a vote on the underlying bill. It's very possible that even though a Republican senator may be in favor of right to work, he may not be in favor of, of uh, throwing out the decorum of the Senate and, and, and really short-circuiting uh, robust discussion about the bill. Uh, could this also be an issue if – well, we know that Senator Wheeland, who's a Republican from Jefferson County, voted against it in the committee uh, on Monday. Uh, is there also Republican concern that this could sort of split the caucus if there are at least even just two or three uh, Republicans who are not going to vote for right to work? I would I would make that assumption. Um, we have to bear in mind some of these Republican legislators are from areas of the state that have a lot of union membership, not only with the construction trades, but also with the with the auto workers. So people are they're feeling their own pressure um, to be for or against the bill, however they are. So I think there's a lot of different pressure coming from a lot of different directions. Now, I, I think it's pretty much fair to say that the path to implementation for right to work now is very, very, very difficult. And if I had to, if I was a betting person, I would say probably bet against it. But the fact that it's being pushed forward now, does it provide any fear among people in your caucus that are going to be around after 2016 that if there's a Republican governor in 2017, that it's almost fait accompli that right to work is going to be implemented either with a PQ or something else? I'm not sure that there is a fear amongst my caucus. I, I think there's a concern. Um, but, you know, two years is a long time. Um, so, um, you know, a lot of things can change between now and then. Now, another dynamic might be the fact that Senate President Pro Tem Tom Dempsey, who is on the f- officially on the fence about right to work and does have a district in St. Charles that has a lot of union members, won't be around Thursday and Friday. So is that going to affect things if he's gone, or do you expect there's going to be a vote um, today or tomorrow in a, while he's still here? Well, obviously, what's what his absence is going to affect the number of votes, um, whether he's pro or against right to work. And quite frankly, I don't know where he is. And I don't think he said publicly. No, he has not. Um, but, um, you know, just just one vote short, uh, and instead of uh, 34 senators, we'll be down to 33. Who knows? What, I mean, this time in the session, the president pro tem is pretty much out of the loop except for points of order. Most everything in the Senate is run by the majority floor leader now. I think it's pretty much assumed that this issue is going to basically block out the sun of other issues that are left like undone. Are there any particular issues that members of your caucus feel that you know, are really important to get done at this point that may not get done because right to work may take up a lot of time over the next couple of days? Well, there's a lot of bills still on the calendar. Um, We really haven't passed that many bills this session. The overall, uh, the one that bubbles up most is the Federal Reimbursement Act that helps us fund our Medicaid system in Missouri. There's a, a yearly sunset on that, and that expires the end of September. That has a lot of people concerned. Is there an expectation if that doesn't get done, there may be a special session that has to get done in order to pass that? Well, two things. Um, 
it doesn't expire till the end of September, so we could pick it up um, at the veto session and have a concurrent special session there, or we could come up with another special session. I think everybody's in agreement that we need to address it. Um, it's just a matter of how we get there. Uh, there's another issue I know that the uh, majority leader also is talking about is uh, the photo ID, which has been a big issue for some Republicans for years. Might that get convoluted with right to work in the next couple of days where they try to cut a deal with Democrats? There, yes, there could be. There are uh, this environment that we're in right now. Everything is fluid. Uh, everything is negotiable. Um, whether we want to uh, come to a compromise on photo ID and uh, right to work, that remains to be seen. I have I, the Republican leadership has not approached me about any kind of deal right now. But, you know, now we're getting down to the last four days of session. I would expect there to be some kind of momentum to get something accomplished. Is there any sort of photo ID proposal that Democrats could accept or not? As I said here today, no. Um, Photo ID is pretty much off the board. Is there any circumstance that you can envision where the Democratic caucus would let right to work get passed, have Nixon veto it, and just knowing that it may not have the votes to get overridden so you could get these other things done? Or is this a no compromise, all hands on deck filibuster, no matter what? Both. Um, It is a no compromise, all decks on hand filibuster right now. That's not to be. That's not to say that there couldn't be some kind of movement as we as as this thing moves along. But right as I said here today, I don't see that happening. Uh, one of the things I have heard while I've been in the Capitol is that um, the House right now, as we know, is about eighteen votes short uh, from their final vote to having enough for an override. What I've heard. Is that they is that some House leaders want the Senate to vote because they want to get a sense of whether or not the Senate could amass an override majority. Because if they can, the idea is that the Republican leaders then can use that as a bargaining chip with uh, wavering Republican legislators in the House who didn't vote for it, telling them, "Look, you know, it's up to you. You can make it pass. We can get an override." Whereas if the Senate vote, even if it's in favor, if it is less than the 23 needed, that then that sort of kills any momentum in the House among Republican leaders trying to get the extra 18 votes. Uh, I mean, is any of that thinking into the Democratic Senate uh, deliberations? Uh, Well, no, I'm not deliberating that and neither is my caucus. And quite frankly, I think that's that's a very... uh, uh, I don't think it's a proper way to push a bill through the Senate just to get a gauge of, wh- of whether we can override it in the House or to use it as a bargaining chip. Um, and I, I, don't, uh, I don't hold much regard for the Republican leadership that espouses that. How does this session compare to previous sessions that you've been involved in, especially as you've been in leadership, um, as far as last-minute stuff? Well, I mean, this session was going remarkably smooth until these last 10 days. Um, We passed a lot of good bills, well, several good bills. Um, We we don't have near the volume that we've had in prior sessions. And the two caucuses have really worked along pretty well until we got to the stumbling block. So we've always had a a huge dispute over right to work and a photo ID. I can't tell you how many filibusters I've sat through um, 
having these discussions, and this seems like it's going to turn out the same way, just the last week of session. How do you think that the General Assembly has responded to the Ferguson and unrest legislatively? Obviously, you passed the municipal courts bill last week, but there's a lot of other issues that look like they're not going to make it to the finish line. Overall, on that particular uh, set of issues, how do you think the General Assembly fared? Um, I'd give the General Assembly a C. Um, you know, the the municipal court reform, that was a big issue that needed to be done, regardless of Ferguson or not. But as to any direct response to the Ferguson issues, um, I'm not sure we did a whole lot um, other than the court reform. Is it kind of one of the ironies that I see, especially with the court reform, is it may not actually impact Ferguson that much because the percentage that it has of revenue with fines, I think is around 16 or 17 percent. And it may end up impacting a lot of towns that are majority African-American with African-American leadership in the mayoral and city council positions. Is that been a concern of some people in the Senate? I know it was definitely a concern among mayors here and maybe some House members. Is that going to be one of the unintended consequences of the municipal court bill? I think it will be. I think we will see some sort of consolidation in some of these local municipalities. Whether you call that unintended or not, um, I will say that there wasn't a lot of discussion on that issue, but I'm not sure that it was unintended. Well, we know that you have to get to a caucus right now, so we appreciate you uh, talking with us in the heat of the end of session, so we will let you go. And now we move to House Minority Leader Jake Hummel, a St. Louis Democrat who is also a union electrician. We're going to talk right now about right to work and a whole host of other issues. Here he is right now. So we want to talk about right to work, not only because that is an issue that's pulsating through the Missouri Senate now, but I know that it's an issue that's dear to your heart. You're a union electrician. You're an official with the Missouri AFL-CIO. Just right now, as of taping, they are still currently filibustering that piece of legislation in the Senate. And by they, I mean the Senate Democrats. What's kind of and your a few ma- Republicans are are, are yes. uh, involved as well. As well, what's kind of your mentality right now? Um, you know, obviously, I'm just uh, I'm very nervous, uh, worried that uh, that if the previous question motion is brought forward, uh, whether there'll be enough votes to sustain that. Um, you know, we've got hundreds of union members up here today. Hundreds were here yesterday, and they're going to continue to be here throughout the week. Um, they're worried about their their future, and I am as well. My question is this, like. Obviously, I think there's some uncertainty whether they have 18 votes to previous question and 18 votes to pass it to the House, especially if it gets amended. But it's pretty clear to me that, you know, 18 is not going to be enough to override a veto. And in fact, all all that needs to happen is for three Republicans to vote against a veto override and right to work is is dead in the Senate. And that's not even counting the House where a lot of Republicans also voted against it. So is that also your feeling that even if it passes and goes to Nixon, there's just not the support there to override a veto? That is actually. And, um, you know, the, the Senate, it's, it's my opinion that the bill will never even make it back to the Senate on a veto override. 
When the governor overrides it, there aren't the votes there in the House. I don't think the Senate will ever get to it for a veto override. And I think we've kind of seen a little bit of back and forth between Speaker Deal and um, uh, Senate Majority Leader Ron Richard on who wants to be left holding the, uh, the bad apple at the end of the day. Um, I think neither one of those gentlemen want to uh, uh, have the bill die in their chamber on the veto override. And, uh, you know, we've seen some back and forth on whether who's going to move the Senate bill or the House version. Um, and I think ultimately we're going to see the House version try to move. Um, so, you know, I think for only a, a few interests here, uh, they're willing to blow up the Senate and um, for the rest of the year and going to have a lot of good pieces of legislation that possibly won't get past the finish line you you had mentioned before uh, the concern that this is just going to blow up all of the um, the state capital as far as any other legislation. Now, there's a health care measure that is mandatory in effect for the existing Medicaid program. The state has to pass um, a measure that will allow it to qualify for about $3.5 billion in um, health care reimbursements that go to the hospitals. That's kind of pending right now. Yeah, the FRA. Yes, the FRA. What's your thoughts about whether or not that's going to be a victim of this? I'm, I'm understanding that the uh, reimbursement doesn't expire until September. That's so, correct. So uh, what's the talk? Well, I think, uh, first of all, the talk is, you know, uh, it, I think we heard Friday that uh, Senate Republicans were blaming Democrats for not allowing that vote to come up. Well, that's just not the case. They could have brought that up anytime they wanted, um, and they were using it to the end of session to try to hold it over their heads. Um, certainly, Governor Nixon would, I'm confident that he would not let uh, that time lapse. I'm sure he would be able to call us back in for a special session to get, get that finished if this happens in the Senate. If, I think that if the once the previous question is moved, um, if it's successful, I think uh, that pretty much ends um, any of the... Uh, um, Senate cooperation going forward, and and I think it speaks poorly for how next session could fare. Now, uh, one of the issues that did come up in the House, I mean, the House was doing stuff on jumping jacks and mm. some other marginal really, legislation. Really important legislation <laughs> such as that, but, right? But the House did take up the issue of whether or not to override the governor's veto of a bill that, among other things, reduced unemployment benefits to 13 weeks. Yes, the lowest in the country. Yes. Uh, that bill that override did happen successfully with 109 only because there was some art twisting of Republicans at the end mm -hmm. and Representative Nick King, whose district includes a lot of union members, did switch his vote to vote in favor of it. I have two questions. First, um, what's the impact will that have in the House going forward with him? But B, will it, from what I understand, the Senate could wait until September even to take that up. Uh, do you have any sense of what the climate is in the Senate for that bill? You know, I don't. I have been focused on efforts in the House. Um, as far as what happens to him moving forward in his caucus, I can't answer that. But uh, certainly a gentleman that won his election by 70 votes um, that has the Ford Claycomo plant in it, which is one of the largest Ford plants in the country with over 4,500 union members, um, that was probably one of the worst votes I've ever seen anyone take. So uh, do you think he's not planning to run for re-election, or what do you um, think is going on? I think that, uh, I, as you saw, um, I know that there was a lot of arm twisting. Uh, 
you know, perhaps his uh, leadership told him that they would take care of him. Um, I, I don't know what was said to him. I saw at least seven or eight people come up to him and try to convince him to switch his vote, and they were successful. Um, for someone that ran on the grounds of saying that they cared about working people, um, he certainly has proven otherwise, and I think that that will come back in the next election. So at this point, what will the I, mean, I know the House right <clears throat> now, as we're taping, is going to be on in recess for a few hours. Uh, that they're waiting to see what happens in the Senate. From your standpoint, what's what's the rest of the week going to be like? Well, uh, I think that we when we when the House goes back in, we we probably won't go in for more than a few hours tonight. Um, I think, as you said, they're waiting to see what happens in the Senate. Um, you know, will the Senate uh, have had enough of the filibuster tonight or tomorrow or the next day? You know, only uh, only Senator Richards knows that answer. Um, you know, I will say that there are some of his members that are up speaking on this. I think that makes it a little harder to uh, move the previous question on your own members, but it's nothing that I push pat, put past him, uh, judging by his comments that he made on Friday. Uh, so certainly he is holding up all other legislation in the Senate until his number one priority gets done. Uh, so he can say that it's everyone else's fault all he wants, uh, but at the end of the day, he decides what legislation comes up on the floor. And if he wanted those other bills to come up, perhaps he should bring them up instead. Now, I know he's been also talking about trying to bring up photo ID, mm-hmm. but with the filibuster and all this other stuff, the, the, the potential train wreck in a day or two, does all of this actually reduce the chances of that coming up, the photo ID bill? Um, you know, I think there was I, talk around the Capitol at one point was whether or not he would bring up photo ID um, before right to work. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, I think that if they if they go to the previous question um, on right to work, the question is, will they bring it up on, on the other issues? specifically voter ID. I think that is possible. Um, at that point, I think you're going to see the um, the Senate deteriorate to a point where um, it becomes a lot more volatile than it has been in the past, and I think it makes passage of any legislation uh, be very questionable. What's the climate in the House right now, and what's your relationship with Speaker Deal? Uh uh, a cordial one. We don't have a lot of conversation. He doesn't always take my conferees. And, um, uh, you know, it's uh, one of – he's the leader of his party and I'm the leader of mine, and we leave it at that. We asked Senator Kevney kind of his assessment of how the General Assembly dealt with the aftermath of the Ferguson unrest. He gave the General Assembly a C, noting that it was good that they passed an overhaul of the municipal court system, but there were a lot of – unfinished priorities that didn't end up getting done. And I know from talking with members of the, the the Legislative Black Caucus that that was a complaint dating back to February and March that some of their bills on body cameras, on sensitivity training, and other bills weren't getting through. Um, what's kind of your assessment on how the legislature has dealt with the aftermath of Michael Brown's death? Uh, well, I would say that as Speaker Deal stated at the beginning of session, that he will not have a Ferguson agenda, and I think he stayed true to his word. Uh, I think they've held up uh, multiple pieces of legislation, um, not allowed a debate on anything, um, and he's, he's stuck by that. Um, certainly, I agree that there is a need for uh, municipal court reform, um, and I commend them for getting that passed. 
Uh, was it a fair bill? I don't think so. I don't think that you can uh, safely say that when you put the rest of the state at 20 percent, that St. Louis County should be at 15 percent. There are problems throughout the state, not just in St. Louis County, um, but at the end of the day, uh, something needed to be done. I voted for it. I wasn't completely happy with it, uh, but at the end of the day, something has to be done. We can't have 400,000 um, arrest warrants, traffic fines, uh, going on in St. Louis County in one year. I think that's ridiculous. I think everyone knows that there's these municipalities that are out there um, surviving off their revenue from their court costs, from their tickets. Um, and I think it's, I think everyone realizes that some of these municipalities are going to have to merge or go away. They can no longer be in business just to be in business. To, to follow up on that, one of the concerns, especially among some of the municipal officials, in that you speak of, and, and many of them are African-American, is that when some of these towns disappear, it will cause kind of a sapping away or dissolution of African-American political power in St. Louis County. Now, the flip side is if they merge into larger municipalities, it's possible that they, they could have more power because the leaders there will represent more people and potentially those towns could run better if they have a bigger tax base. I mean, that that has to be a concern among some of your members, especially in the Black Caucus, that of what I just said. Have you heard about that, and what's kind of your take on that argument? Yeah, and I I can I can understand that concern, and I and I I absolutely see where they're coming from, and I think that's the case. But I also think that, as you said, they could merge um, proactively amongst themselves um, and create larger municipalities. Um, I think everyone knows at this point that there are these. Uh, municipalities out there that are um, in business only to stay in business, that it's been past time that uh, that they they merge um, at least services in some way, shape, or form. You know, you talk about um, this is a bigger issue, and I really don't want to muddle the waters, but, you know, when you have the talk about the St. Louis, St. Louis City and St. Louis County merger, uh, you know, one of the big arguments from St. Louis County uh, um, people that I've talked to is, well, there's so many aldermen in the city of St. Louis. We don't, you know, that's just ridiculous. Well, the fact of the matter is there are over a thousand aldermen in St. Louis County. There are unlimited amounts of mayors um, and elected officials in St. Louis County. It's the most fractured form of government that I've seen. And so without arguing the merits pro or con on a merger, I think that um, the fact needs to be made that there are 90-plus municipalities in St. Louis County, several of which should not exist on their own. I have a question on House Bill 722, which, um, to just summarize, and and correct me if I'm wrong when I'm summarizing this, it bans cities from banning plastic bags, and it also bars cities from implementing livable wage ordinances or requiring certain benefits on employees. First of all, is that a correct summation of the bill. I think that's correct. I think there's uh, I think there's a couple other bills out there where those amendments may be added on as well, but yes, I think that's correct. Now, I saw a statement from you that was attributed to you that this was an example of quote Soviet-style central planning from the Republican majority. Before I get to my next question, can you just elaborate on why you feel that way? Well, I mean, I I think sir, I mean, certainly they are upset um you know, I think the I, I think the plastic bag um, amendment or, or issue that was added um, may be for one or two people's um, 
personal interest. But I think the bigger question here is, or the bigger issue is that um, municipalities are enacting higher minimum wages, and it's happening across the country. We have states that are raising their minimum wage left and right, um, and they don't like that. And I, I just feel like this is the state legislature trying to enforce their will on local governments. So obviously I may be one of the few people who followed this issue closely in 2013, but back in that year there was a bill that went through the legislature that nullified St. Louis and St. Louis County's foreclosure mediation ordinances. Yes, and I saw. I saw you, you said something. You about saw that. my tweets. You know where I'm going with this. Yep. And I, I am fully aware that the issue of foreclosure mediation is controversial. And I'm also fully aware that had you not passed that bill, the ordinances would have been found unconstitutional, and they would have been, you know, swept out regardless. Right. But I do have to ask, since you and many other people in your caucus voted to effectively upend local control of St. Louis and St. Louis County on that issue. Like, what's the difference between members of your caucus nullifying those ordinances and Republicans nullifying, you know, livable wage or plastic bag ordinances? Isn't it philosophically the same approach? Well, I think you you answered my question, the fact that um, the school of thought in 2013 was that it was unconstitutional and there was no one that said that it wasn't unconstitutional. Uh, Minimum wage... Uh, has been upheld that cities and municipalities can enact a higher minimum wage. And I think that was the difference between the two. I mean, did people bring up that example, like Absolutely. Republicans, uh, as, as as trying to showcase inconsistency in your caucus? Or do you think there was differences no, I between mean, those I two bills? I, I haven't heard anything other than that. But, um, you know, when we're talking about following the Constitution, each of us took an oath uh, to defend and support the Constitution, not only of the United States, but of the state of Missouri. Um, and I think that's the difference between the two. Do you think that it is constitutional for cities to raise their own minimum wages, or do you think that would be something that would be litigated and potentially have to be decided in court? Uh, Are you asking if the state has the authority over? Uh, I, I think that constitutionally that as long as the state does not preempt um, local ordinances, I think that those municipalities have the right to raise their minimum wage. If the state of Missouri, if the state legislature um, says that they cannot, then I feel that they are not allowed to. I think that will probably be an issue for the I, courts. I obviously. think it will go to court, um, and I think that that will be upheld by the court. We appreciate your time during this very, very busy time. Um, to, to close us out, you can find all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum, where I harass Representative Hummel about things like foreclosure mediation. Um, you can follow Joe on Twitter at Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. You can follow Senator Kevney at Joe Kevney. And how do we follow you on Twitter, Representative Hummel? Jacob Hummel. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. Bye.